You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome once again to The Worship Review, the podcast where we evaluate the songs that are sung in churches and During this second series of the podcast, we are evaluating hymns that have been recently redone. And by recent, I guess we have a liberal view of recent. You know, we did Alan Jackson a little while ago, which was like the 1990s. Recent decades. Yes, recent in recent decades by somewhat contemporary Christian musicians, although most of them are within the last decade or so. Um, But they're older hymns and... We're, we're just looking at not only the modern version, but making some comparisons with the old version and giving uh, a rating at the end to this, whatever the modern version of the hymn is. We've got one today that has been around for quite some time, recently redone by David Crowder, or I should just say Crowder, because it's a mononym. And that song is All Creatures of Our God and King. So, what we're going to do today is just my co-host, Tyler, and I, and by the way, Tyler is a linguist, and I am a history professor. Tyler and I are going to go ahead and give an overview of this song, then get into some of the details of sort of, you know, the lines and the lyrics, and then we'll we'll give that evaluation. So, Tyler, what could you say just in a, a general sense about this redone hymn. This hymn, as well as its redone version by David Crowder, or Crowder, is an invocation of many natural elements in the world around us to lift up their voices metaphorically to praise God. In addition, there is a turn at the very end to worship him in humbleness. So, I think there it's more implied that humans are meant to kind of join in this song of creation, praising God, its creator. It's an interesting song because it's just the hymn itself is very old. It comes from the, well, it comes from the early 20th century, so a good hundred years old by William Henry Draper. But then it comes from a much, much earlier poem, Canticle of the Sun, written by St. Francis of Assisi, which uh, date on that's around, you know, early to mid-13th century AD. So, and, you know, this is this is a pretty ancient set of texts. Yes, a medieval text, and then through these later permutations, it, it does change slightly. I mean, just for example, the Canticle of the Sun opens with, Most high, all-powerful, good Lord, yours are the praises, the glory, the honor, and all blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong, and no man is worthy to mention your name. And then it goes on through the various different creatures. And we'll see many of those elements, which contain a bit more meat, if you will, have been scrapped by the time we get to the Crowder version, to where it really is kind of a a bare-bones address of the creation. But this isn't without precedent. If we take a look at Psalm 148, which inspired 
uh, St. Francis of Assisi, as well as Draper, um, in, in constructing these hymns. Uh, Psalm 148 opens with, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars. And it goes on from there. Yeah. Psalm 148 is the inspiration of, of several hymns as well. So it's, um, this is not the only one. One thing to know about Draper as he was writing this song is that he lost four children and two wives in the course of his life. Uh, his first wife died in childbirth or after childbirth in 1884. His second wife died in 1913 along with his daughter. And then three of his sons perished in World War I. And this hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, was published in 1919. So it's conceivable that he had already lost multiple children by the time this was published. Uh, and two wives. Is, I mean, a great—the man experienced great tragedy and— um, I'm not saying that that should color how we view the song, but it gives a little bit of context. And I personally find it quite laudable when someone who has experienced immense tragedy can turn to praising God. Yet another common theme that we see in some of these hymns, that they're often written after tragedy. And some of these psalms are some of the most exuberant and enthusiastic songs about praising God. There's a lot of exuberance and enthusiasm in the words of this song, a lot of imagery. So let's get right into the opening verses. It, normally, after giving a summary, we spend probably most of the podcast on a kind of in-depth analysis of the lyrics. I expect that to not take very long this time. We'll see. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. There's some poetic language used here, like lift up your voice, which is obviously meant to be metaphorical. But uh, what we see here is that there is a group of people and we are among them, hence the us. Uh, with us sing. So we are singing and we are invoking all creatures to join us in these words of praise. And we have a clearly defined object of praise, our God and King. The clear object of this praise is our God and King. And we ask all these creatures to praise him. And then we have this refrain, Alleluia, right? Praise ye Yah, praise ye the Lord. Eventually, later on in the song, we learn that the Creator God is triune, which is pretty yes. cool. And we don't learn that now. Um, and actually, we don't learn much more than that either in the rest of the song. Uh, God, apart from the statement of the Trinity that we have later, there is not much yes. actually said about God. Kind of an irony because there's probably a lot more said about the creatures praising him, I suppose, which I suppose we can get into and maybe see as we carry on. I'd like to say one more thing about the second word of this first verse, creatures. Now in, in modern contemporary English, we use the word creature to mean sort of any, any living thing, any creeping or crawling thing uh, that lives. Uh, but I think in this hymn, it's conceivable that calling something creature is actually meant to 
call to mind God as the creator. Yeah. And so we have the verb to create and then the noun creature, like one, the thing that is created, yeah. um, offering praise here. So uh, it's, it's, it's more than simply all beings praise the Lord. It's actually uh, you who have been created yeah. by God and God, the king of the universe, offer up now your praises to him. Yeah, it's not purely sentient living things. It's everything. Creation itself. Yeah, and instead of saying all creation of our God and King, he just says all creatures of our God and King, but it seems like it's saying the same thing. Yeah. Thou burning sun with golden beams Thou silver moments after burning sun, S-U-N, with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, which really tells us that we're talking about not the Son of God, we're talking about the sun. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him, alleluia, alleluia. Right, so here we address... Alleluia. (laughs) Here we address the two prominent heavenly bodies for dwellers of earth, uh, and those are the sun and the lesser in light, the moon. Um, the, the sun is said to be burning here, and it has a golden beam, uh, pr- presumably uh, referring to its uh, glorious radiation and perhaps the rays that can be viewed off of it. And then the moon is said to be silver, uh, which is, you know, kind of accurate. The moonlight is oh, quite yeah. a silvery look. The La Luna, yeah. And it has a softer gleam. And we know now that's because it reflects the light of the sun uh, off of its surface to us. So, doubly true there. The association of, of uh, the moon with silver goes way, way back. And the sun with gold. Um, one thing I'll say briefly. This is lifted directly from Psalm 148. We have verse 3. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. I do notice already when comparing Psalm 148 to this hymn, that the hymn is sort of embellishing on what Psalm 148 has to say. So it's keeping some of the same language, but is just adding adjectives and adverbs. Right. Adjectives and then prepositional phrases that kind of modify these nouns. I don't think that's original to, I don't think that derives from Draper's version. I think that actually goes way back to Francis of Assisi, right? Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day and you give light through him. And he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Praise be you, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars. In heaven, you form them clear and precious and beautiful. So um, this ornate depiction of these things predates the... uh, early 20th century hymn that we have here. Colin, you mentioned this refrain a little bit jokingly. Oh, praise him. Alleluia, 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 right? It's a little bit funny. Uh, But this also is, I think we can say, a literal borrowing from Psalm 148. So remember how I opened the the psalm and I said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. So in Hebrew, that would be 
Alleluia. Absolutely. Right? So I think this is a really clever way to yeah. say, not only are we going to use these images from Psalm 148, we're actually going to do our best to really take even the Hebrew text that we can and sing it in English. Yep. No, good point. The rushing wind that are so strong Okay, so then we get to the wind, thou rushing wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven along, oh, praise him, alleluia. So the wind should praise him, the clouds should praise him. The wind is strong, and the clouds sail. They kind of float along in, in the sky yeah. as as boats in water, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, and I think here we're running up against something that we took for granted in the first verse, and that is these archaic pronouns, right? Thou and ye. ye. So we've taken those for granted. Those would be a kind of informal second person, so addressing a singular person directly, and then informal second person plural, addressing multiple things directly. So the wind is addressed directly as thou, and the clouds are addressed directly as ye. And you'll notice the art so strong. We know that this art is not, you know, related to artifice or creation of beautiful paintings or something. This is just a an old form of the verb that agrees with thou. So when you use thou, you would be expected to use art. Instead of are. Whereas you would be R. You would be R. And that's not because people forgot about the T, it's because U was originally plural, and so that T would not be added to a plural ending. And, uh, you know, this is somewhat similar to what's in Psalm 148. So we've got verse 8, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Uh, There aren't really clouds, but I suppose mist maybe could be clouds and Perhaps verse 4, praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. This presumably references the clouds in the sky. Sure. It's there. Thou rising moon praise rejoice. He lights of evening find a voice. Oh, praise him. we get to thou rising moon. So we're back to the moon again. And now it's nighttime, it seems. So the moon's back, but the sun's not there because we don't have any sun. Thou rising moon in praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a voice. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Alleluia. So the sun is... Alleluia. So the sun has set, and now the moon is rising over the horizon. And... uh, we are telling it to rejoice, to uh, pour forth its praise gladly. And then we address, so this is the second time we've talked to the moon here. And then, uh, not talked to, but this is the second time that we've addressed the moon here. And then we tell the lights of evening to find a voice. This is a metaphorical 
lang- well, maybe not metaphorical. This is a poetic way of describing the heavenly bodies that illuminate the night sky. So that could include the moon, but it's probably more inclined toward the stars mm-hmm. in the heavens. I don't understand why he returns to the moon. I mean, maybe, like you say, to signal that it's night and that's why we see the stars because the moon is out, which makes us think, okay, the, the stars are back out. The psalm just says, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars. It just sort of includes them all together. It doesn't give a sense as to whether there's day and night. But this psalm, I don't know, maybe it's trying to imply the cycle of day and night as being part of creation, and that this cycle also is praising God, maybe? That he appointed times, that God appointed times for his praise to be offered in various different ways. Right. Because it's weird that the moon gets another mention. Yeah, and he doesn't, he, the moon, um, the moon doesn't, well, in in Latin languages, yeah, in Germanic languages, it's male, strangely Really, what is the... Der Mond in German. Der Mond. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's kind of one of the interesting things about the Germanic languages is that they, they flipped the genders of the sun and the moon, so the sun is female. In any event, um, Francis of Assisi did not refer to the moon twice. He referred to it once. So this is an innovation of Draper. And by telling the lights to find a voice, we are encouraging them to, um, you know, not, you know, you need to find a voice, kid, and speak up for yourself, but rather join in this song that's already going on before them to offer their voice as a continued part of that. Yeah. Okay, and then we now move into a kind of summary statement at this point. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. So we're kind of, we've we've named individual things, and now we're speaking back to the collective unity of everything, praising God, calling all the creatures now, all the creation, to bless their creator, to worship him humbly. Yeah, and I think we've, so far in this hymn, we have named really significant guideposts in the natural world, right? We've named the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens, the clouds. I don't think we've named anything on earth other than the creation, other than the creatures. Yeah. But we have these big guideposts and then we tell all things. So I think it's almost like we are, you know, everything between the heavens and the creatures on earth. Let all of it praise the Lord here. And we are supposed to worship him in humbleness. So I think this is also acknowledging our role as finite creation, finite creatures of God, um, offering praise back to him. Now, in my view, you're getting to this point and it's, you may be thinking, you may not be, but if you're me, you're thinking, why are we doing this, right? Why are we praising God. And who exactly is this God? Because there's not been a lot of outline yet as to the divine being that we're worshiping at this point. We just kind of have a creator. I mean, most religions have some aspect of creation or a creator 
deity or a creating force to them. And it's, there's just no, there's no answer yet to what seems like it should be a question of first importance. It's kind of nice to establish that at some point. And you haven't, there's no, there's really not much to grab yet, which is, you know, I wonder if uh, Draper himself was like, oh, maybe I should say something Christian-ish, at least, in in and sort of tell people who they're who they're actually praising, or maybe he wouldn't because he's living in a situation where there's still not a lot of competitors to Christianity on the religious marketplace in the kind of Western world at that point. So maybe he doesn't feel the need to. But either way, he does. We get to praise, praise the Father, praise the Son. Praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, alleluia, alleluia. So, I think you were getting... Alleluia. I think you were getting at something a moment ago that is worth asking. Should a Christian worship song or hymn be something that only Christians can sing sincerely? Because up to this final stanza this final verse where we mention a triune God, this song could be sung by someone of virtually any religion with a a royal monotheistic creator. Uh, maybe not even that, right? It's just a God that does creation. I mean, mm-hmm. you could also presumably be some kind of pluralist and just not be worshiping some of the other gods at the moment. Sure, I, I was taking God and King to be very kind of limiting there. But yeah, if you interpret those broadly, then uh, someone of the Baha'i faith could sing this. Yeah, a- I mean, or someone of like a, a, someone of traditional Roman religion or Greek religion, right, could be could be singing this to the creator God or the chief God, right? Jupiter or Zeus or something. You're getting into some interesting waters here, right? Because I, I don't know that much about Roman religion, but I can imagine we would praise Apollo as he, you know, crosses the sky and so on. Right. Yeah. Um, that's not obviously that's not what's happening here, but there is something to this argument um, that this hymn up to this final verse hasn't really said anything distinctively Christian about God. In fact, it hasn't said. Let me rephrase that. It hasn't said anything about a distinctively Christian God. Yeah. Yeah. But now we do. Yes. We do have a clear Christian deity, triune God, and Nicaean God, unequivocally. Yes, this uh, triune God, uh, which means Trinitarian, three in one, uh, a phrase that is actually used here, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three in one. So, one God, three persons. Yep. I, I, I don't mean to harp on this, Colin, but do you think that there's something that recalls worship in the maybe pre-Christian world about these invocations of various natural elements to praise God. Well, I mean, only just that. Like, only that, in many cases, pre-Christian or non-Christian deities in 
the classical world, but also kind of the the world around the classical world, Gaelic and Celtic deities and so on and so forth, I mean, are, are, are very naturalistic, right? They're based on planets. They're based on uh, plants. Um, there's, there's a real natural aspect to them, to many of them, not all of them, but, but many of them. And, you know, this, this song emphasizes, and this is kind of getting into a summary comment, but this song says that with its words, we should praise God, but it actually spends some time praising the creatures. Like it spends much more of its text lauding the creatures and what they do and the the sun and what it does and the moon and what it does and what it is and why it's cool. Which I wouldn't say is inherently wrong. We can offer praise to God by giving thanks for these beautiful things that he created. I mean, this again, we've brought this up before, but the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I mean, one of the ways that we enjoy, we don't just enjoy a kind of abstraction that is God. We enjoy him through enjoying, like, in a right way, the things that he's created. Like, we we go out into the sun, we bask in it. There, That can be a communal experience with God. And I could say, you know, so... Isn't that kind of the principle of Christian retreats in general? <laughs> I suppose. In addition to... Uh, well, it depends on what sort of Christian but retreats people they also spend on time base. reading scripture and stuff yeah, like that, too, of you know, course. And, it depends on whether you go on a men's retreat or a women's retreat. My wife always tells me she wishes she could go on the men's retreats because we leave lots of space for things to do. And the women, they pack their time. I haven't been on a men's retreat in a long time, but... No, it's been a while for me too. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with you, Colin. This this song spends a lot of time talking about the natural world, its beauty, its majesty, in subjection to, as creatures of uh, a royal monotheistic triune creator god yeah and can i say also the other uh, part of what i'm thinking about when i'm thinking about kind of non-christian deities or at least the 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 slight opening for obviously nobody in a church is going to think about that but my point just is the the kind of lack of definition up until that final verse i'll admit part of my thoughts on this are influenced by an omitted verse which is Dear Mother Earth, who day by day unfoldest blessings on our way, alleluia, alleluia. The flowers and fruits that in thee grow, let them God's glory also show. O sing ye, O sing ye, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Which, that is a song praising Mother Earth. And again, Obviously, that can just be an innocent, like, there's a point now where Mother Earth, nobody thinks of, like, Gaia or something like that. But that is where that comes from. And uh, and there's this, there's this idea of blessing God in, part, in, in earlier verses of the song, but now we see the Earth unfolding blessings on us, growing fruits and flowers. And, and again, this is just a lot of language in actuality, praising Mother Earth, which, again, I, I, I'm i sure that Draper was not trying to set up some kind of demigod or something in, in the text. But nevertheless, I mean, this is kind of the mo- most excessive of that, what I'm talking about, which is you can say all you want that you're doing something, 
but what are you actually doing? I think some of that is inherited from the source material. So for example, oh, yeah. on, on, in, in Assisi's poem, it talks about sister mother earth who sustains us and governs us and who produces varied fruits with colored flowers and herbs, right? So that also assigns a kind of agency to mother earth. But when he was talking about the sun, he said, my Lord brother, son who brings the day and you give light through him and he's beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. So there he's a bit more clear about the, the true origin of all of what we're praising here. Um, and then again, in Assisi's version, we have, I think, some more substantive ideas as well. Um, Blessed are those who endure in peace, for by you, Most High, they shall be crowned, for example. So that's another, that's um, a scriptural reference, and it gives a bit more, it just gives a bit more content. Yeah. Uh, there's another omitted verse as well, which I should bring up. And thou, most kind and gentle death, waiting to hush our final breath. Alleluia, alleluia. Thou leadest home the child of God, as Christ before that way has trod. O sing ye, O sing ye, alleluia, alleluia. Really interesting omitted verse. Again, couple, like, on the one hand, death is personified again, which goes back to kind of the pantheon of of ancient deities. We have a, a death deity that's responsible for ferrying the 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 dead. To souls. the afterlife. Yeah, to the afterlife. And it's interesting, though, that there's a kind of uh, call to death, even, to praise God, and that this is something that that, that death is kind and gentle. Like death is a mercy in a way because he leads the child of God home. So like death actually isn't a thing to be feared, but death actually is the mechanism by which we are guided back to where we belong. Like, like a kind stranger that helps a child find his way home if he gets lost playing outside, which is what children used to do at one point. I have to wonder though, I think it's very good that this has been omitted because this makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up a little bit because we know that death is a consequence of sin, mm-hmm. that God's plan for his creation initially was not to have death be a part of it, but yeah. that it's a consequence of man's rebellion. Uh, and I and death is ultimately defeated. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sign of corruption. It's a sign of the fall, as you're saying. The consequence of sin. And I wonder, I, I agree with you, um, Death is, I think we have to conclude, God permits death to operate for a time here um, until, um, at least until the resurrection. And we know chronologically death has already been defeated by Christ, as you said, but I don't know, I guess I just don't know how comfortable I am invoking death to praise God, if that makes sense. No, I agree. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I mean, any other summarizing thoughts? I mean, we're definitely getting into the whole evaluation of the song. Yeah, I think it's what we have here, these eight verses, they aren't, there's nothing in them that's inherently objectionable. They're somewhat lacking in substance, but they are Trinitarian. They are clearly Christian by the time you get to the end of them. And it's it's just lacking some of the rigor of Assisi's version. Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, there's, like you, I don't find anything objectionable in the Crowder version. I do, like you, have some concerns about some of the omitted verses, especially. I don't 
know how productive it is. I mean, one of the things that I really like about Psalm 148 is that there are these moments where we learn why we should praise God. So in verse 6, um, or verse 5 and 6, let let them, so this is kind of a summary statement after he's talked about the moon and the stars and the sun, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. So these celestial bodies are evidence of characteristics and attributes and the the nature of God. Um, the same thing happens in 14. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel and for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. So, and also, by the way, the psalm does turn to humans and compels and commands them to praise too. The, so, Psalm 148 has some extra material in there, which I think really fills in the gaps as to what's going on in the celestial sphere, as it were, whereas the the hymn just doesn't quite give that, in my view. And so, it's kind of a poor substitute for Psalm 148. There are musical versions of Psalm 148 that I think would be wiser to sing than the Crowder version of this hymn or even the original hymn. So um, would you would you endorse the song, Tyler? Very lukewarmly, I would, yeah. I have exactly the same view. I would give a lukewarm endorsement of the Crowder version. I would give probably, I would probably not endorse the full Draper version. Yeah. And also Assisi's version, I'm not sure I would endorse either. I mean, woe to those who die in mortal sin. So there's making reference to a, that makes reference to a theological category that I don't think is helpful for us. So yeah, I would uh, maybe dispassionately (laughs) endorse uh, the Crowder version. So typically when you use that sort of language, we can know, what sort of rating is coming, Tyler? What's the rating for this song for you, from you? I give it three of five goatees because Crowder Sports, probably the biggest goatee since the 19th century in uh, the live version of this. And I think he, sp- he wore it for a long time. Yeah. Now I believe he has just kind of a full beard going on. The last time I saw a video of him, he was singing and he had on a backwards baseball cap and his beard was massive and his hair too. It's just so funny because we don't talk about these. Now, I didn't give it uh, an out of goatees, but I did give it three out of five happy little clouds. Sailing in heaven along? No, you may not know this. He may have died before you really knew who this guy was, except as a meme. So happy little clouds for anybody who watched PBS in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Bob Ross. Bob Ross. And why Bob Ross? Well, because Crowder's little, his bushy hair. Um, Crowder's hair resembles Bob Ross's? Yes. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, Bob Ross had a, had a big bushy head of hair. And Crowder, at least in the, um, in kind of the mid-2000s, also had kind of his hair out and round. Crowder's is more pointed, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the things that come out are more like uh, that clown from... The Simpsons oh, with the red um, hair. 
Yeah. Not crusty, um, but the other one. Yeah. Um, Sideshow Bob. It looks a bit more like Sideshow Bob's afro. <laughs> Irony of ironies, the voice actor for Sideshow Bob uh, was a bald man. Oh, really? That does it for the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter. Check out the back catalog. Don't hesitate to reach out to us at feedback at the worship review. We're always grateful for the things that people share with us. Often they help us improve the podcast, which is very nice. That they do. At a slow and and painful rate, I'm sure. Take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 